USF and Tulsa meeting for the second straight year. 10-10, and some explosive action on the kickoff return as USF is going to take the lead. Brian Batty to the house. Second and seven, deep shot into single coverage. Veering out of bounds, Marcus Gregory makes the catch for USF. Are you kidding me? Welcome back to another edition of the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. I'm your host, Will Turner, here on this Monday when the podcast drops. Uh, recording this about Sunday at 11.30. Needed the day off on Sunday. Definitely a uh, wanted to make sure I got this podcast out with as minimal as, uh, knee-jerk reactions as possible heading into uh, this Temple Week as USF ended up losing to Tulsa 32-31 to in the final seconds of that game on Saturday at Raymond James Stadium. Um, I really, really, really needed a day to kind of process that loss. There's a lot of people in the organization that are that are upset, and I'll kind of dive into that a little bit later on as we as we dive into this one. But uh, for me, you know, it, it, it was tough watching, and and it's been tough watching for anybody, whether it's whether you're a USF fan or a member of, of the independent media as I am or you know anybody watching across the college football sphere. So had a couple of, uh, uh, of beers. My, my uh, site contributor JJ Garrett and I had a you know, pleasant conversation about kind of the program today. And right now, if anybody's interested, I'm, I'm having a Lone Tree double IPA out of Lone Tree, Colorado, I think, or something of that nature, somewhere in Colorado. Um, if y'all kind of know, some of y'all know, some of y'all don't, but uh, I bring craft beer home from wherever I go, whether I'm on a work trip or if I'm on vacation, I end up bringing some sort of craft beer home. So the beer of choice tonight is Lone Tree Brewing Company I Double IPA here on this Sunday night as I record this one. Uh, my girlfriend went to Denver in uh, a couple months ago, so she brought home some of that. Not a bad beer. If y'all want beer suggestions or beer reviews here on the Fletcher Fowler podcast, uh, feel free to to uh, to let me know. Um, I'm a big craft beer fella myself, and that's kind of how I <laughs> that's how I make the the road trips uh, kind of worthwhile here and there, uh, considering just how uh unavailable or well maybe not unavailable but just considering how uneventful (laughs) some of the uh some of these trips are in terms of the usf games i cover but usf was was home on saturday and they lose to tulsa 32 to 31 this is the post game podcast although it's going up monday and i'm recording this on sunday night I try, like I said, I try and make these have as little of knee-jerk reactions as possible. We did do the one at SMU, whatever. We're still just trying to figure out how we're doing all these. So 
Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where we're at uh, right now. USF loses in the final seconds with 47 seconds remaining. Shamari Brooks nets a three-yard rush, and USF loses their 17th straight against FBS opponents, which is uh, quite the stat, quite the stat. If you're listening to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast for the first time and you do enjoy the content, feel free to subscribe, whether that's in your favorite browser with the Megaphone.fm app within your browser as we embed all these stories within Bulls247.com, or if you're listening on your favorite podcast distributor between Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts, feel free to give us some sort of feedback or rating over there hopefully it's a five-star rating as we continue to grow these uh, grow these podcasts and grow these episodes within the usf space we are continuing to do that i think this is our fifth episode now so really fifth or sixth or something of that nature so we're really trying to continue to grow this within the usf space we appreciate the good feedback that we've gotten already and we're hoping to continue to do that If you're interested in any of the additional content over on Bulls247.com, now's a great time to be able to subscribe over there. You get your first month for a dollar over there at Bulls247.com. That's where all the latest updates surrounding the USF Bulls are. You get your first VIP month for $1. That's cheaper than a Cigar City beer, a Buddy Brew Coffee, uh, you can go ahead and, and take advantage of that deal now. And if you're feeling like you want to jump on for a year, we always have a 30% off annual deal over on Bulls247.com. That's six twenty seven a month for a year, billed annually, of course. But if you are interested in that, check out those deals at Bulls247.com. Planning on, I know I said I was going to do some recruiting content over the bye week, but planning on doing that a little bit more. Um, just because I know a lot of fans are, are are interested in the recruiting aspect, and we'll we'll, we'll get there. It's 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 kind of tough right now. It's there's a lot of uncertainty on the recruiting front because of the fact that they've really only got four verbal commits, which we've talked about for months now, and it, it it's tough. It's tough recruiting as a group of five school. It's been tough really. For a while, USF is kind of in a holding pattern, and they're continuing in a holding pattern. And really, I think November is going to end up being a really big month for for the program in terms of high school recruiting. And then, of course, you've got the college uh, transfer portal recruiting. So planning to have Hassani Harper on during the middle of the week, something of that nature. We'll actually drop a midweek podcast, and I've been talking about it for weeks. But we should have a midweek podcast this week with Hassani Harper, who's one of my best friends and business partner for me, a guy I've known for for a long time and uh, is a guy that I really, really uh, have a lot of respect for. So he is, should be able to, to give us some good perspective, not just about USF recruiting, but in terms of, um, you know, trends that we're seeing in college football across all levels and, and specifically within the group of five because it's a little bit different than the power five. But getting into Saturday... Tulsa wins 32-31. to They shrink the all-time series lead to three games to two, and um, th- there's a lot of disappointed folks within the football program at this point in time. 
I, I've gotten a couple of texts and DMs from some folks around the program, and there's there's a lot of disappointment. Uh, that's kind of the overall tone after that one. They really thought that they were in a position to win that football game against the Golden Hurricane, and honestly, they were. I mean, you look at just kind of how that game went down. You have a 14-point lead in the second quarter. You've got an 11-point lead at the end of the third, and there's a lot of questions surrounding some of the play call decisions in the fourth quarter, and I'll get to that. But before that, you know, we've got to talk about how we got here, right, and how this team kind of got to where they, they, they did, which it was an adram- it was really an admirable first half performance in all honesty from the, from the defense especially USF ends up scoring on their first drive for just the second time this season with Spencer Schrader's 44 yard field goal Schrader is 7 of 7 this year and i think that's something that a lot of people don't recognize but Spencer Schrader has been extremely good this season and Spencer Schrader has done a heck of a job Um, in terms of just kind of erasing the stigma that he had during that 2019 game against Cincinnati where he missed four field goals in that one, including ones that would have ended up winning the game. But he's 7 of 7 this year uh, with a long of 49. He's really taken advantage of, you know, we kind of had that discussion heading into the 2020 season when Jared Sackett came in from uh, Arkansas via UTSA. And we were wondering if Spencer Schrader was going to be the guy. And Spencer Schrader has has been money this year. He has not missed a kick yet. He's made a kick in one, two, three, four, five of the games so far. He was two for two against Florida, two for two against BYU, and then made kicks against Florida A&M, SMU, and Tulsa. And he's been money. I mean, he's been he's been good, especially from from forty yards out. He has. A 42-yarder, a 44, and a 49 under his total so far. So it's been good to see Spencer really rebound. Uh, you know, he, he's a local kid uh, out of Newsom High School in Lithia, right down the road from where I live. And, uh, you know, it, it, he, he he's a solid kid, man. And, and I enjoy being able to watch him play and kind of watching him bounce back. So it's been really cool to, to see um, – just that he was—he was a great soccer player over over at Newsom, and was I think he played a, a little bit professionally, if I'm not mistaken, um, before he ended up at USF. So, uh, you know, cool to see what Spencer Schrader's doing. Uh, you know, seven of seven, kind of a little bit of a a, a perhaps um, you know maybe lost in some of the box score type of stuff. But so Schrader goes for a 44 yarder. Uh, to start the game, three nothing. Tulsa answers with a 22-yard field goal of their own on a 15-play drive. Good goal line stand from USF there to be able to force them to three as opposed to seven. Jaron Mangum ends up getting a his tenth touchdown of the season after an Antonio Greer fumble or force fumble rather. So it was really good good to see Antonio Greer in on a on a big play there to see USF set up a one-yard rush from Jaron Mangum. Dwayne Boyles ends up getting an interception of his own, his second in two straight weeks at the 1040 mark of the second quarter, ends up uh, you know, becoming a three and out. Timmy McLean fires three straight incomplete passes. They they punt uh, to the to the USF 43. It's a short punt with a with a nine yard return, and Tulsa turns that into seven points on a Daneric Prince rush. 
there, and that's when things get really, really interesting, right? Brian Batie goes 100 yards on the ensuing kickoff, and I was down on that part of the end zone. I was kind of behind him on the play on in the south end zone, so opposite the pirate ship at Raymond James, and Brian Batie was was I don't know if 100. He wasn't standing on his goal line. He was kind of standing maybe a yard or two behind it, and I was a little interested to see if he was going to take a knee there. Uh, I was surprised when he took it out. But Brian did a Petit did a fantastic job of just finding a lane and and, and going a hundred yards down the field to and, and you could tell he was gone after after a quick uh, you know a few a few yards so it was it was good to see Brian Petit uh, get that kick return he only had one rush for three yards um, in the in, on the offensive side of the ball so it was good to see Brian Petit get involved in a different kind of way. Uh, we've talked about USF's, you know, I just talked about Spencer Schrader, but you talk about USF's special teams as a whole. They've really improved under Daniel DePrado, and it's been something that USF has, you know, can pride themselves on. Their PFF grades in terms of uh, special teams have been fairly solid over the last couple of weeks, and that's just another example of that. Uh, Davis Brin ends up throwing an interception on the ensuing drive. Antonio Greer. Uh, with a with a great play, jumps throughout a little bit on the USF 41. Tulsa had entered plus territory, but it's a big play there from Antonio Greer. Goes 69 yards to Paydirt, and man, can I tell you how just happy and ecstatic I was for Antonio Greer to be able to make that play and be able to get in the end zone? Because Antonio Greer, if you're not familiar, he's been battling some shoulder injuries, and he's had surgery. Uh, at least once, if not twice, on some shoulder injuries that he's had over his USF career, and he said it himself, flat out. He said he he's not a hundred percent. And I remember, you know, folks that that are out there that are that are a Tampa Bay Lightning fan. There was a quote that Stephen Stamkos had when he was injured and um, after he got hurt. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but when he broke his leg playing Boston, when he ran into the when he ran into the goalpost and and his uh, and one of his legs got hurt, and I remember Stephen Stamkos after that said, "You're never really going to be a hundred percent," and that's basically what Antonio Greer said in post game after 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 the you know couple of shoulder injuries that he's had, he's been banged up and. But he's never let it bother him. If you know, you know, if if you know Antonio Greer, he's a very hard-nosed player. He's from Atlanta, a very tough player. Was honestly very underrated coming out of uh, of Mays High School, and he he's been really damn good. If we're being honest, um, he's been a little bit more in terms of uh, uh, of kind of his positioning on the field. He's played a little bit more in coverage than in pass rush. Uh, he and Dwayne Boyles both were better pass rushers than they were in coverage um played a little bit more in pass rush in 2019 so you know we got that uh there so that was so that was good to see usf goes up 24 to 10 uh tulsa fires back with a 12 play 68 yard drive that takes four minutes 44 seconds off the clock ends up in a 20 yard 25 yard field goal so another good play that uh good defensive stand that ends up uh stalling out at the USF 7, so that was good to see. Then on the ensuing kickoff, things get weird. After the Brian Petit kickoff return for touchdown, Jimmy Horn gets a chance to return. He goes 22 yards to the USF 37, 
ends up fumbling it. And that ball popped up into the air, and uh, it did not end up in a USF uh, player's hands. So that is not good uh, for USF, obviously. Davis Brin needs one play. Sam Crawford Jr., 37-yard pass. Tulsa makes it 24-20 to with 30, 57 seconds before half. Uh, so they go into halftime. It's 24-47. We talked about blowing a 14-point lead. That's kind of where that was. But USF ends up getting three straight. And I call them organic stands because, you know, I really wanted to see USF, USF's defense create organic stops. And when I use the term organic, I mean four down stops, whether that's forcing a punt or whether that's forcing a turnover on downs, not necessarily needing a turnover to be able to create uh, a stop. I wanted to see USF be able to do that, especially on the on Tulsa's side of the field. So the first drive, Tulsa gets stopped at their 28. The second drive, USF, the USF gets Tulsa um, to, to punt from their their uh their their own 30 and then on the next drive that Tulsa has they get them to um have a turnover on downs from the USF 43 so that kind of middle part of the field which which you know is it, for a lot of teams is no man no man's land you know do you want to punt do you want to go for it uh there's so many questions about analytics about whether you go for it in those situations or not depending upon game situation whatever you want to call it but for USF, I wanted to see their defense get stops that didn't require interceptions or fumbles or anything of the sorts because we just we haven't seen that recently. And we haven't seen that defense, you know, get those organic stops as I like to call them. And maybe organic isn't the right word. I I don't know. I was kind of talking to to, to a few folks about that, but you haven't seen those types of those types of stops. So it was good for them to to get it. Meanwhile, USF ends up going for a 10-play, 81-yard drive on their second drive of the second half, and it ends up being a nine, an eight, officially an eight-yard keeper from Timmy McLean, his first rushing touchdown in USF colors. But on the play before that, my goodness, what a just a spectacular throw and catch to Demarcus Gregory. For 36 yards, the Old Miss transfer just continues to produce. I mean, he just continues to be outrageous in in some of the catches that he makes. Uh, he had two catches for 47 yards. He had one earlier in the game, but I, I really like what Demarcus Gregory has has brought to the table. And to and and you know to another transfer's credit, Baylor transfer Yusuf Terry. Also had two catches for 33 yards in that game. So it was cool to see those two guys get involved. Gregory's kind of gotten a little bit of the spotlight in recent weeks. But Yusuf Terry is is a guy that um, was coming into the year pretty highly touted. So it was cool to see him really get involved for the first time. And, you know, you're going to have to see that with Latrell Williams being out with the knee injury. And Bryce Miller didn't play for the third straight game. Even after the bye week, which I thought was a little surprising, you know, you're going to have to find guys like that. So good for good for USF there to go up 11 with 430 to go in the third quarter. 
and you know then it then the offense stalls out. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Davis Brin goes for 13 yards on a 10 play, 99 yard drive. We'll talk about that. Josh Johnson gets a 13 yard pass from Davis Brin to bring it within five at 36. Uh, excuse me, at 31-26. And things get weird. Things get silly. And we'll talk about the fourth and one later in this podcast. We'll, 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 we'll get into it. But USF ends up choking away an 11-point lead. Shamari Brooks with 47 seconds to go. Three-yard rushing touchdown. Tulsa wins the game 32-31. to So my initial reaction when I look at this game holistically Did USF deserve to win that game? Probably not. Tulsa outgained USF 535 to 268. That includes a 269 to 113 uh, advantage on the ground and a 266 to 155 mark uh, through the year. Okay, USF probably didn't deserve to win that game i mean tulsa literally doubled them up offensively in yards but you have to consider and a lot of that came during the second quarter i think tulsa ended up outgaining usf like 238 to to 26 in that second quarter but remember there was a 10 minute stretch of game where USF didn't, USF's offense did not see the field. And even when they did see the field in the second quarter, they didn't have very long to go. That Jaron Mangum drive only went 12 yards because of where Antonio Greer ended up picking up that football and returning that to after the fumble, after the forced fumble and recovery. And you didn't get much after the Dwayne Boyles interception in the second quarter, and then you don't get anything on the Brian Batie because your defense goes right back out there on the Batie kickoff return, and then you get an interception return for touchdowns. So the one unit that we've been concerned about for weeks regarding USF in terms of their defense did not get off the field for like 10 minutes. And I thought they did it, uh, an admirable job, all things considering. You know, you do give up uh, a 68-yard yard drive that ends up in a field goal. You give up a 43-yard drive. Those are okay, in my opinion. You know, you, you give up a, a, a touchdown, um, but you gave them a short field, so, you know, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind that. And then, like I already mentioned... You get three organic stops in the third quarter and three big stops and three important stops, but your offense just can't find a way to succeed and to play complementary football, which is what Jeff Scott has been talking about all season long, is about playing complementary football. And what complementary football is, your defense gets a stop, your special teams play gets a nice return, and your offense goes down and scores points. It's that simple. And USF did that at times on Saturday, but they didn't do it enough to win the football game, especially in the fourth quarter. 
And that can be said for maybe conservative play calling or something of that nature. USF did have two big three and outs when it happened. You look at USF's offense following the last touchdown from Timmy McLean on the 81-yard drive uh, that took 4.33 off the clock. USF's final four drives to finish the game went for three yards, uh, excuse me, three plays for three yards. That was their last drive of the third quarter and a three and out. Then their first drive of the fourth quarter was for three plays for five yards. That was a punt. And their uh, third drive of the, uh, their second drive of the fourth quarter, five plays, 22 yards that ended in the fourth and one, which we'll talk about. And then their final drive of the game, which ended uh, with 42, was started with 42 seconds to go after Tulsa scored their final touchdown, four plays, five yards, three and out, that also had a sack uh, on Timmy McClain. Take a look holistically. I don't think Timmy McClain played his best game. I think that's that's a given. Um, would I say it's his worst game as a starting quarterback? Probably. Um, I thought he was good at BYU. I thought he was pretty okay at SMU. I thought he was great against Florida A&M. And, you know, so this was kind of his first, like, setback. But at the same time, right, there was nobody in that press conference room on Saturday that asked, oh, well, Timmy McLean was 10 of 25 for 148 yards. Does he not get to start next week? Does Cade Fortin or Travis Marsh start next week? Which, in my opinion, is is progress, which is improvement, because we've been talking about that for the last four years, is if a quarterback goes out and has a bad game, aside from Blake Barnett in 18, is he not going to get the start? Is 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 Timmy McClain because he played a bad game not going to get start? We talked about that all in 19 and all in 20 and all in 21. If Blake Barnett plays a bad game against Georgia Tech, does Jordan McLeod get the start? If Jordan McLeod plays a bad game in 2020, does Noah Johnson, does Cade Fortin get the start? We have talked about this for months and months and months. And for the first time since I've been on this beat, well, second time, because 2018 was a thing, Timmy McLean is going to be the starter next week when USF plays Temple. That is progress, and that is improvement, because you don't have a quarterback controversy. Now, I qualify that with this, okay? When I look at this game, and I look at Timmy's performance, because a lot of folks wanted to talk about um you know Timmy's performance and I think there were there were moments where he held on to the ball a few seconds too long I think there were a few moments where he just might not have trusted what he had seen out downfield I think Tulsa's defense also had a little bit to do with that because the Golden Hurricane will do things defensively in terms of cloud coverage and some of their cover three schemes that no other team in the country will do and Jeff Scott said that this week that they've had to um, you know install things defensively or uh, their scout team defensively that they really haven't had to do all season long so I think that kind of played into it a little bit Um, you know it's it's a unique defense granted Tulsa uh, didn't wasn't really playing with a full deck of cards Kender and Ray was out you know they've got some other 
injuries on the back end and and things like that. But I just when I look at this game holistically, I just I really 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 wonder. And I look at and I'm looking at the the, the box score right now. Tulsa had 31 first downs compared to USF's 13. Tulsa had 88 plays to USF's 57. And you know I know uh, when you when you take a look at the at the final amount of drives each team had, you uh, Tulsa had. 14, I'd say 13 because of the last drive. You don't really take that into account because, you know, they just kneeled it. So 13 drives. USF had 11. Uh, so you got two extra drives in there. Uh, Tulsa, you know, you, you take a look at, at USF's drives. I think, um, you know, they had a three-play in the second quarter after the Dwayne Boyles interception. You had a, a three-play drive that went for zero yards. That, uh, And then you had a two-play drive. Uh, for eight yards, that was the the end of the first half. Um, you know, I, I I I'd like to kind of break it down a little bit more, and I might do that later in the week in terms of like dry, yards per drive, um, kind of adjusting for some of those drives that uh, that didn't go very far because of the half or something like that, and seeing really just how much Tulsa ended up, uh, you know, outgaining USF because this was a game that we were looking at at halftime that that Tulsa might end up, you know doubling up usf on yards but they were going to lose the football game which didn't happen the things i thought was interesting though was was uh tulsa ended up uh, having 6.1 yards per play usf ended up having 4.7 so that's that's fairly even uh, i thought uh, i'll take a look a little bit deeper kind of later in the week davis Brin was 22 of 39 for 266 yards for the golden hurricane but uh, what what stands out to me on the Tulsa side is just the fact that, you know, while the receivers had uh, not a great day, um, officially they were recorded with 17 drops, which is 17 completions. Like I said, Davis Brim was 22 of 39, so that's 17 incompletions. They credited it as 17 drops, but you've got two interceptions in there. Uh, so that would be down to 15. I, I think the number's well over 10 because there was a point in the game where I'm kind of like thinking about it, and and JJ and I were taking a look at each other, and like like these guys are 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 not uh, they're they're just not not catching the football. Um, but I don't think it was 17. It definitely wasn't 17. I don't think it was 15 either. So they had a lot of drops, but. You take a look at, at the rushing numbers, in my opinion. You know, you had two guys. Shamari Brooks had, had 145 yards on 23 attempts. Uh, Daneric Prince had 110 yards on 19 attempts. He was the guy that gashed USF last year in that game last year. So the run defense is, is still struggling. Uh, you know, I, I kind of have to go back and take a look at film to, to, to see, but it, 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 it's tough and I, I you know it sucks for the guys the guys are hurting it's it's obvious there were a few players that were shaking their heads and had their head in 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 their hands after the game uh, immediately after the game and I saw that at BYU a little bit more or excuse me a little bit less rather but I saw it after this game a little bit more and I think it's just simply because of the fact that they had that USF just had a chance uh, to win this game and, and kind of right the ship. Uh, the two-year anniversary of USF's last FBS win is now just um, 
eight days away uh, from, you know, the clock has switched over to midnight as I'm recording this, so it's officially eight days away. Uh, USF's last FBS win and last conference win was October 26th of 2019 against East Carolina. That two-year anniversary is is looming, and uh, it's been 723 days since USF has last beat an FBS opponent, so... It's tough. I, feel, I I really 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 feel for the for the guys involved because there's a lot of good effort. Antonio Greer and Dwayne Boyles played played really well at the linebacker spot. I thought the offensive line um, had probably their most struggles. Uh, you know, I thought they were okay, but uh, in, in I thought they were good in in run in, in run fits. Uh, Jaron Mangum had some good outside zone runs. Uh, compiled 75 yards on just 13 carries for 5.8 yards per game. So I thought the offensive line had a had a solid day in run fits. They did struggle against the pass, in my opinion, or in, in passing uh, pass block situations. Xavier Weaver had another good game, four catches, 52 yards um, for him. I thought Vince Davis had a really nice game defensively. He finished with 13 tackles, nine of them unassisted. Two tackles for loss. I thought Vince Davis probably had his best game of the season, if not his career. He set a career high in tackles with the 13, as I mentioned. His previous high was 11 against Cincinnati last season, and he also set a a career high in tackles for loss, uh, which he had twice. Uh, he had a tackle for loss last at UCF in 2019, and he had two against the Golden Hurricane on Saturday. Uh, Daquan Evans had eight tackles. Antonio Greer had seven, as well as Mikayla Point. TJ Robinson played for the first time uh, since the BYU game. Uh, I, I did not see Jalen Herring. Darian Felix did not register a run. Um, I did see Christian Williams on the sideline uh, during the game. He was in pads, which um, I didn't get a chance to, 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 to take a good look at warm-up. So I wasn't sure if he took warm-up, uh, but he was in pads uh, when I saw him on Saturday. So there's a, And there's a chance that he could come back for this, for this Temple game on Saturday. And we'll talk a little bit about Temple uh, later in the week. I'm, I'm kind of hoping to, to uh, we'll either have uh, Ryan Wallen or we will have Sean Pastor from Al's Daily 24-7, our, our Temple site later on in the week. I'm hoping I got I to gotta reach out to one of those guys. So we should have a three podcast week. We'll kind of get into that. So there's two big things that, you know, two elephants in the room that I really need to address in terms of the fourth and one uh, that was that 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 came from the USF 42, I believe, in the fourth quarter, that ends up, uh, you know, kind of setting the stage once again. USF at this point is leading 30, 31 to 26. Tulsa has one timeout, and on that third and one play. USF ends up going to the same formation that they used on Jaron Mangum's one-yard rush in the second quarter, a wildcat formation that sees a direct snap to Darren, to, to Jaron Mangum uh, that ends up getting a, a touchdown. So 
USF ends up trying to go back to that with 427 to go uh, in, in the fourth quarter. And like I said, Tulsa has one timeout. USF has one timeout. So they, they, they run the third and one play. Mangum's not able to pick up the yard there on third and one. USF and, and, and Jeff Scott, this is, this is really just mind-boggling to me, in my opinion. Um, they line up. Tulsa lines up. And USF stands there. The offense stands there for, for 25, 30 seconds until the play clock runs down to zero. And Jeff Scott calls a timeout. Now, I'm also kind of a little concerned that Jeff Scott calls a timeout with 10.57 to go with the clock not running ahead of a second two-point conversion attempt after Davis Brin's pass to Josh Johnson that made it um, 31-26. Tulsa tried to go for two-point conversion. They don't get it, but there's a roughing the passer call on Antonio Greer. Jeff Scott calls a timeout then, which I don't know why you're calling a timeout, but that's just, you know, my opinion. Um, so <laughs> they stand there for, for 25 to 30 and, and I'm on the, I'm on the USF sideline and I'm just kind of looking and I'm like, why, why are you not calling a timeout or why, why are you calling a timeout here? Why are they just standing there? And they call a timeout with 420 remaining. Okay. USF needs one first down and Tulsa, if they don't get the stop, they are probably done. Like, they, they are probably done. I mean, you can run this clock. I'd have to do, like, the actual, like, clock calculations with the play clock or whatever. But, like, you, you know, at that point, you can stop the clock once, and you're probably getting the ball back. If you go, if you force a three, if you force a punt on three plays in the next sequence, you're probably getting the ball back with, with, with a minute to go. If, if that, if that. So, USF decides to, to take a timeout with 4.27 to go. They line up in the same formation that they just did on the third and one play. And on the fourth and one play, Jaron Mangum takes a direct snap and runs it into seven to eight Tulsa defenders. They stack nine in the box. Mangum runs right into the teeth of the defense. Like, no creativity. And... I mentioned Mangum was having some success on some outside zone patterns and throughout the game, and I just don't know why you don't go back to one of those outside zones. I just don't know. Why do you not go back to what Tulsa has not been able to stop all game? If you just ran a a, a, a run up the middle on third and one and they stopped it, what makes you think on fourth and one you're going to be able to try the same thing? I just, I, I don't know. And Jeff Scott made and Jeff Scott made it point made a point to think that that perhaps they would they would go back and look at the film and second guess and we'll see what he says on Tuesday during his press conference and and see if they actually you know do second guess that fourth and one call which I I don't know how you don't but I I I. I I posed a question on, on on Twitter 
on purpose because I was very curious to see uh, kind of the, the, the temperature of the fan base. And I asked if the fans agree with the decision to go for it on fourth and one from your own 42 with four minutes to go. Not necessarily the play call that you had on that fourth and one play, just the idea of going for it. And the majority of USF fans uh, said, yeah, go for it there. And they didn't agree with the play call, but they agree for going for it. And and I'm kind of in that same boat. I thought Louis Gachette, uh, former, former USF football player, uh, had a fantastic uh, opinion of it. Um, he said, quote, I agree 100% with going for it. Needed a better play call. Our defense caught breaks this game. Linebackers played better, but we didn't do well defensively. Still a lot of missed tackles, defensive back play, no rush, little pressure, and minimal blitzing, which is which is true. And that's kind of an overall trend that we've seen in recent weeks, and 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 we've we've seen it. Um, you know, we'll kind of break that down a little bit more uh, in the in the coming days and in coming weeks. Um, you know, a couple other folks basically said, don't like the play call, uh, one of, uh, you know, why don't you take that snap under center, which I don't disagree with. I think you should absolutely hundred percent take it, um, under, uh, you should absolutely take that to take that play under center. Um, but for the, for the no, the, the, there was a, a few, a few uh, no folks out there, which I thought were I thought was interesting. Uh, Flying Hawaiian, who who is a guy, uh, you know, I, I I like his opinions quite a bit over on Twitter. Um, uh, USF fan out, uh, out uh, in in Hawaii uh, says, in this game, I would say no. Our offensive line was getting bullied a lot. Tulsa had the momentum. I would have punted the ball, make them drive the length of the field. Our defense was a turnover machine. I don't hate the decision to go for it though. Um, you know, so I, I thought that was an interesting, uh, another, uh, Mark Anderson, uh, says no, make them go the, di- the distance, uh, not hindsight either said it before the play may be different if the offer, if the offense was a juggernaut, but they are not, which, which I could agree with, you know, Tulsa's D- offense is not fantastic. Uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a, have a great, um, you know, uh, they didn't have a fantastic offense, I would say. Um, the reason why I'm kind of in the uh, camp of saying, uh, yes, go for it, is primarily because of the fact that um, you just gave up a 99-yard drive uh, a few minutes earlier. So, uh, and you gave up a 97-yard drive against SMU two weeks prior. Like, you just – this defense hasn't stopped anybody, you know, when they really want to score. Like, I get it. And and so so my biggest thing with it, right, is is the fact that it, it, let's say Tulsa gets the ball at the, at the one-yard line or at the five-yard line. What are they going to do to move the ball in four minutes and 20 seconds? They're going to throw the football. And what has USF been really bad at defending? The passing game. I mean, that's been the problem all season long. TJ Robinson's been hurt. Matt Hill hasn't been the greatest. 
Uh, Christian Williams is hurt. Jalen Herring was hurt. You have all these individuals that were hurt. You had all these concerns in your secondary. And what is Tulsa going to do to try and move down the field? They're going to pass the football, and they're going to throw the football. I think in this case you need to control the clock more so than trying to necessarily, you know, get a get a, get a stop. Um, that's just kind of where my mind was at, um, you know. But you have a, you know, you, you could have won, you could have technically won without a roughing the kicker call because Xavier Weaver would have ran that punt back. But all right, so. As you know, I like to do on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast for the post-game podcast. I do like to, 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 to field some questions from USF fans following the game. Uh, we did it after the SMU game. And uh, I did only ask a question on Twitter this time instead of the message board. But if you do have any questions following a game, uh, feel free to tweet them at me at WTurner247. Uh, always feeling free to uh, answer some questions regarding the game. A few questions that I have here uh, regarding the game. Uh, one from Alex Rigsby. With the season halfway over, do injuries continue to be a satisfying answer for why this defensive squad looks lost out there and continues to put little to no pressure on the other team at times? My answer to that is is No. Because you haven't had any injuries along your defensive line. The only defensive lineman that has had any problems is Stacy Kirby, who ended up transferring out. And Stacy Kirby wasn't contributing um, before he ended up transferring out. So it's not like one of those situations where you've got a talented defensive lineman that's contributing and, and getting sacks and TFLs and, and things of that nature. Uh, transferring out he didn't play he didn't he didn't play he 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 ended up transferring out so you have you you've played with your full deck of defensive linemen between Thad Mangum, Rashawn Yates, um, Ryan Thaxton's played a lot, Blake Green, Kevin Kegler you've got all four of your defensive you know Kelvin Pinkney you've got all four of your defensive tackles that are still healthy you've got your defensive end you've got Tyrone Barber that's still healthy you've got all these guys that are still healthy along the defensive line and if you know for addressing Alex's question here putting a little to no pressure on the team that that's your defensive line that's your linebackers and there hasn't been enough um I don't know if enough injuries is the correct term but you, you, there there hasn't been injuries in the front seven that have said you don't put pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, you, your secondary issues are one thing, okay? So I could see why you maybe would give up a lot of passing yards because Christian Williams is out and um, T.J. Robinson is out and, and, and Jalen Herring missed time um, and Will Jones was out. So, like, I get that part. But up front, if you want to talk about your front seven and putting pressure on a quarterback, you, you you don't have you're playing with your full deck of cards, so to speak. You haven't had any injuries along your front seven. So in my mind, no, injuries do not continue to be a satisfying answer because you haven't had those injuries along your front seven. So if you want to talk about putting pressure on a quarterback, I think that goes schematically or with your personnel. 
If your personnel is just not good enough to do it, then your personnel is not good enough to do it. But at the same time, right, I think a lot of that falls on your scheme and rushing three down linemen and things like that. But I did see a little bit more of a four-man front. Against Tulsa, we saw it against SMU a little bit. Saw it against BYU a little bit. So, But you haven't had injury issues along your front seven. So, no. Injuries are not a satisfying answer for why USF might not be putting pressure on the opposing quarterback. From Rocky the Bullshitter, um, address the conservativeness and uh, timeouts. Yeah. Um, the ESPN broadcast was was incorrect. Uh, I believe they, they said that, that USF had one timeout. The announcers were, were going crazy as to why USF wasn't using their final timeout after Timmy McLean got sacked. Um, Jeff Scott used one, and I went back and looked at the official stats. USF used one at the 203 mark of the third quarter, the 1057 of the fourth quarter, and then the 427 mark of the fourth quarter. Um, he used all three in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I mentioned this last week or two weeks ago. I said, at least Jeff Scott uses his freaking timeout as opposed to Charlie Strong, who thought he could go to the Hard Rock Buffet and, and cash him in. And I know it's an old and tired joke, and I've used it a few times, but literally that's what it felt like, that he was going to go to the Hard Rock and cash him in for buffet tickets because he never used his timeout. Every time he had a timeout in a late situation, like it felt like he just didn't use it. But Jeff used all three of his, which is fine and dandy. But my God, we already talked about the fourth and one play where they stand around for 25 seconds. But I don't know why you need a timeout. And so I was on the south. I was on the north end zone at the time. You know, y'all. You know, if you don't, if y'all aren't familiar, um, I am on field during these games. I'm not in the box for the majority of them. I, I, I shoot photos for the majority of, of the time while I'm on field in the game, so I see everything from the sideline level most of the time. Um, I will go up uh, for, like, the third quarter typically or something like that. I usually shoot the first half, then go up for the third or something of that nature. So I'm down on the field, and I'm in the north end zone, uh, which is the pirate ship end zone uh, at Raymond James. And, I, I, and I'm watching Jeff, and it's not even like – he, you know, uh, the two-point conversion that Tulsa tried to get, they, they don't get it, but it, there's roughing the passer called Antonio Greer. And Jeff is standing next to the referee. Like, I have pictures of it. Like, I took pictures of Jeff standing next to the referee. There was no question that Jeff Scott was not going to take a timeout before that two-point conversion. He was standing right next to the referee. He was going to take a timeout. And I just, you've got the clock stopped. I just, you've already stopped them once from a two-point conversion. You've already picked them off twice. Like, I just don't, like, Tulsa hasn't done anything creatively enough offensively to show you that, like, they're going to do anything crazy different. Um I don't know why you need to take a timeout there. I don't know what the third quarter timeout was that was taken at the 250 mark. Uh, I don't remember that off the top of my head as to why he took that timeout. Um, so I'd have to go back and take a look at that. But those two timeouts were just egregiously taken. And 
something I don't necessarily uh, agree with. In terms of play calling conservative, uh, I just felt that, that USF really got basic um, inside of the in, – in, like on the other side of the field. As soon as they crossed the 50-yard line, it just felt like they kind of went into a turtle shell and never came out. Um, you know, maybe that's McLean not being able to throw the football – well enough. Um, maybe that's play calling from Weiss. Um, I don't know, but it 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 did it. Whenever whenever they got in the red zone or whatever they got onto the plus side of the field, it just looked like it just kind of went into a turtle shell, and they weren't calling, they weren't trying to be aggressive, and they weren't trying to do the things that they were trying to do um, on the other side of the fifty yard line. So. Uh, from USF football survivor, Dr. Soflo, why are we last in recruiting right now and how are recruits viewing USF at the moment? Um, we'll talk about that later in the week. Uh, we'll have a, a, a larger podcast, uh, as I mentioned, on recruiting. Um, but the short answer is why are we last? Why, why is USF last in recruiting? Um, because they have four commits. They have two quarterbacks and two wide receivers, and they're in a holding pattern. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, they primarily they just don't have a lot of scholarships to give out. There's a lot of uncertainty in terms of, of um, who's going to stay and who's not, and uh, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest question. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes, but like I said, I think November is going to end up being a, a big month in terms of, of recruiting. From the eternal pessimist, Gary Graham, who's kind of come around here and there. I'm proud of Gary. Proud of Gary for coming around a little bit uh, here and there. Uh, during the BYU game, he came around. I didn't see his, his Twitter during that. But Gary Graham uh, asks, what does your gut tell you about how the Jeff Scott era is going to play out at USF? I don't know. Uh, somebody asked me that Friday when I went to Armwood Bloomingdale over at Bloomingdale High. And somebody asked me how I thought, you know, things were going to go down. Somebody asked me if I thought Jeff was on the hot seat, which I've said no for weeks and weeks and weeks. Dabo Sweeney assistants have not gone on well, or have not gone on to do well when they leave Clemson. And Chad Morris is a great example. Um, Chad Morris went 14 and 22 at SMU from 2015 to 17 and he got signed off at, at, at Arkansas and he was two and ten at Arkansas in his first year and two and eight in his second year um, didn't have a conference win there and then ends up um, you know going to going to Auburn and spending time over there and now he's not even in college football He's, he's at Allen High School in Texas. And that's kind of what we have to go off of. And I don't want to say that Jeff Scott is going to end up like Chad Morris because we don't know yet. You know, Chad Morris ended up getting uh, three years of run. Yeah, three years of run at SMU. Um, went 2-10, and ten, then 5-7, and seven, then 7-5, seven and five, then took the Arkansas job and posted back-to-back two win seasons so Dabo Swinney you know just just on what we've seen Dabo Swinney assistants have not gone on to be very successful 
I'd like to see Jeff Jeff Scott win. I'd like to see this program turned around. But you're two and thirteen now, fifteen games in, and it just doesn't. It's just tough, you know. In terms of what my gut is telling me about about how this how this era is going to go down, I'm not. I'm not completely down the drain just yet, but but the Tulsa game was was really disheartening uh, to see because uh, there's a lot of folks in the organization, as I already mentioned, that that are just that are just really 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 upset about how this game went down. Yeah, so that's that's kind of my answer for that. I I don't I don't think to be clear, I don't think that all hope is lost. Uh, I think you you can have another successful summer and a successful offseason in terms of recruiting transfers and perhaps rebounding your high school class. So I don't think all hope is lost. Um, but you you, you got to figure something <laughs> You got to figure something out quick. And there were some, don't get me wrong, right? There's a lot of positives from this Tulsa game. They played their most complete game of the season, um, in my opinion, and I and I and a few other people thought that. They just didn't. They played three quarters. They didn't play a fourth, and 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 you gotta play four quarter games to win in college football. To win an FBS uh, college football. One, uh, two more questions here. Uh, I've got one from ZM Palm on Twitter. Uh, Jeff Scott won't go for a fourth and short from the opponent's 40 when the defense hasn't stopped anyone, indicating the SMU game. But the Jeff goes for it on his own 40 when his defense was serving up three and outs. I'm concerned he is just guessing at this point. At SMU, the Bulls offense was clicking and the defense was non-existent, yet we trust the defense there. Um, it's evident Jeff Scott learned, uh, quick <laughs> to, to, to not punt in situations that, that you don't, that you're, you shouldn't punt in. Um, I said it very quickly. I said, if you don't go for this, uh, I'm, I'm kind of going to be a little upset, uh, which they ended up didn't, uh, which they ended up going for it on that fourth and one, but they didn't get it, but whatever, at least they went for it something jeff didn't do it at smu that's fine um so that's improvement in my eyes in terms of a head coach you know acknowledging that you know things didn't work at smu so they're gonna actually like try and be aggressive so that works um i wouldn't say that he's guessing uh in terms of 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 um i wouldn't say that he's guessing at all um I think he knows what he wants to do. I think he's still learning. Remember, this is still his first experience as a head coach, and I think he's still learning, which is which is fine and dandy. And I think the fact that they went for it on fourth and one there instead of punting the ball away is Jeff learning from the SMU game and the staff learning from the SMU game. So that like I could be okay with that. Um, you just got to have a better play call on fourth and one. It's just that that simple. You can't do you can't run the same play on fourth and one that you done on third and one that uh didn't go very far and then my last question from sean quinn why do we consistently rush three defensive linemen the entire game we never get close to the quarterback that's just scheme 
that's just the scheme that Glenn Spencer wants to run. Uh, we did see some four-down linemen at BYU. We saw four-down linemen against SMU, and we saw a little bit of it uh, against uh, uh, Tulsa. That's just scheme. And um, I found it really interesting that USF kept four defensive tackles in Kevin Kegler, Thad Mangum, uh, Kelvin Pinckney, and Blake Green, all super seniors. I find it really interesting that they kept those guys and ended up gray-shirting two defensive tackles that were incoming uh, in Jaquez Williams out of Jenkins High School in uh, Savannah, Georgia, and then uh, Jalen Hobbs from Leonard uh, High School down in Ruskin. Um, I'm surprised that that you that you gray-shirt those guys. I'm not surprised. Uh, I take that back. I'm surprised that you run a three-down lineman set when you've got four super senior defensive tackles that force you to gray shirt to defensive tackles in your, in your upcoming class. Um, that's just scheme. That's just, that's just what Glenn Spencer wants to run. Um, that's really all there is to it. Uh, you know, uh, there, there, there's some teams that have had success with it. BYU's had some success with it. Um, Tulsa had some good success with it on, on Saturday with a three man front. Um, granted they do they do things a little bit differently on the back end than USF does um, like I said BYU has had some success with it um, Tulsa had success with it there's teams that have had success with, success with it and Glenn Spencer had success with it at Florida Atlantic remember in 2019 they led the country in turnovers they led you know, they led the country in interceptions and they led the country in turnovers or were top five or something of that nature. They were up there and they created turnovers. And I'd have to really go back and take a look at the pressure they uh, had on some of those interceptions. Um, but um, in, in some of those turnovers, but I'm sure it was more than what they're getting. And again, it could be a personnel issue. Um, but you know, I, again, I, you know, you keep four super senior defensive tackles on the roster. I want to, you know, I want to see the snap counts this week. Uh, they've been pretty even for the most part. Um, but, you know, yeah. No, I, I it, it's just a scheme thing uh, as to why they're, they're, they're rushing three defensive linemen. Um, you know, they want to sit back in zone, but uh, if, if you're going to sit back in zone, you need to get pressure on the quarterback or else that quarterback is going to get it an opinion uh, or, or is going to get a, a, a chance to to dissect the defense, which is what Zach Brin did at times on Saturday. Um, but yeah, you're, you're going to have to, um, you're gonna, and, and, and another thing that goes into that is Dwayne Boyles and Antonio Greer have both been playing a lot of coverage. They've been playing in a numerous amount of coverage compared to in 2019. Those guys were, uh, playing a lot of pass rush and those guys were rushing the passer and those guys were were um, you know getting past the line of scrimmage and getting into the backfield consistently uh, you know Antonio Greer great example BYU in 2019 that's exactly what Antonio Greer does to salt the the BYU um, game away I mean Dwayne Boyles led the team in tackles for loss a couple years ago and led the team in sacks and um, those guys are playing more coverage snaps as opposed to, to pass rushing. And I wish, uh, those guys would, would, um, 
kind of play a little bit more pass rush because they're extremely good in it. I think they're. I think. I think. I think Wayne is was. Uh, I think Wayne's a lot better in um in uh in, in pass rush than than coverage. Um, you know he's grown a lot in coverage. I think he's 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 grown a lot in coverage. But I think ultimately he's still a better pass rusher than he is than he is uh, when he's forced to drop back. So that's that's my opinions. That's my thoughts. Uh, a little bit longer of an episode than I anticipated, but it was a lot to be said after this one. Um, my I appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. Uh, to this edition of the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. Again, if you are listening to the podcast for the first time and you do enjoy these breakdowns of games, uh, please feel free to subscribe so you never miss another episode of the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. Uh, If you are feeling even more generous, please feel free to give us a review on our uh, Apple podcast. I think is the only place you can put reviews, but I could be wrong. Uh, But please feel free to give us a review. Hopefully it's a five-star rating uh be greatly appreciative of it and if there is any additional feedback feel free to message at w turner 24 7 on twitter that's my personal twitter and my dms are always open look forward to uh recruiting podcast hopefully later in the week uh not necessarily who usf is going to be targeting uh down the line but just uh, some trends that that we're seeing in college football and, and some things uh, put in more of a, a of a USF context. So hopefully uh, we'll get that later on in the week. Hopefully that should be a good good episode uh, and one that should be pretty interesting. Um, we've got some 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 good ideas for the podcast. Excited, and then we should have some sort of preview for Temple with uh, I'm assuming Ryan Wallen or Sean Pastor from our Al's uh, daily site over on the 24-7 Temple site. Sean does a fantastic job. I love Sean. He's such a great dude, awesome to talk to, Uh, travels with Temple all over the place, and Ryan is a pretty solid dude in himself, two of the first guys that I connected with uh, when I got onto the network back in uh, 2019. So hopefully we'll get a chance to, uh, you'll get a chance to hear from them. But uh, until then, uh, this was the post-game podcast on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast after USF's 32-31 loss against the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. USF will be back in action on Saturday night at 7 p.m. as they host Temple inside Raymond James Stadium. That game will be broadcast on ESPN+. And we will have full coverage from that one, and we will have full game week coverage as Jeff Scott is set to talk to the media on Tuesday for his normal availability. Have all the updates on Twitter and all the updates over on Bulls247.com, so make sure you are ready to go for that. And yeah, that's that's all I've got. So uh, I was your host, Will Turner, here on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast, and uh, thanks for bearing with us as we continue to to get this podcast uh out in the usf space if you enjoyed it please uh you know share it with all your friends that are usf fans share it with grandma share it with your brother whoever as long as you're a usf fan we uh we hope to be in their ears and uh listening whether it's on your drive home uh whether it's at your work day whether you're at the grocery store something of that nature we'd love to be a part of your daily and weekly routines as this podcast uh, continues to grow so we will be back uh midweek with hasani harper But until then, 
Uh, thanks again for listening to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. Again, I was your host, Will Turner, and we will be back uh, midweek with some uh, recruiting. And uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll, we will catch you on the flip side. Oh, 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 oh,